You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. And uh, we have a great section of scripture to cover. Uh, We're going to be looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. The title of the message is simply The Cross. And it's part one of a message. And I am so happy over the next few weeks to be studying the cross of Jesus with you. The cross of Jesus Christ is far and away the most important event in human history. Without the cross, man would be without hope. All would be lost. We would be bound in our sins. We would be eternally damned. We would be eternally separated from God. I am sure that we can't even fathom or grasp the magnitude of what that would be. You see, if you are, a, if you are an atheist today, even the atheist, when he goes into Starbucks, receives the common grace of God, the love of God that's in the world. When the person behind the counter goes, hey, how are you today? Oh, I'm good, thank you. That's the love of God. That's common grace being given. But in hell, when it, if, if we are judged for our sins, we are completely separated from the presence of God, from the love of God. Uh, the Bible says it is nothing but bitterness and anguish and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, oh, the cross of Jesus Christ, it is the most paramount work of all works. Because of the Jesus work on the cross, we have hope. We have life, abundant life. We have forgiveness of sin, and we have God's abundant grace flowing freely into our life like a river, uh, to which I am so thankful. And then at the end, uh, eternal life in his presence. I think of the 23rd Psalm, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then in the end, when it's all over, then I'll be in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, This is the heritage that we have because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I remember when I was uh, first saved, when Jesus first got a hold of me 35 years ago, I was incredibly grateful for the cross. Oh my gosh, the, my sins forgiven. Oh, incredible, man. I was so thankful. But do you know what I have found? The longer that I am a Christian, the longer that I walk with Christ, uh, the more grateful, the more thankful I am for the cross. I would love to tell you that now after 35 years, I don't sin anymore. <laughs> but it's just not true. As a matter of fact, I am more aware of my sin today than at any other time in my life. I am more aware of how uh, short I come of the character of God. How short I come of doing things that are uh, holy and right. And I am so thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. Before we jump into our text, uh, I want to remind us that Jesus' sacrificial death was not a tragic accident. It wasn't a bad end to a really good life. It wasn't, oh man, too bad it happened that way. Know that these things were planned before the beginning of time. The Bible says that before the earth was formed, before the foundation of the earth, before God spoke the universe into existence, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was already planned out. Jesus himself would say, for this purpose I have come to go to the cross in our place. And so not an accident, God's sovereignty reigning over all. And today we're going to jump in, and for the next uh, week or two, uh, jumping into this incredible work. What actually happened on the cross? What did God actually do? And what is it all about? 
Um, Jesus, we looked at the, the six illegal trials of Jesus over the uh, past few weeks. And we remember, I showed you this verse in, in the fourth trial, the fourth illegal trial of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was talking with Pilate. And Pilate was the Roman governor, and the Jews had sent Jesus to Pilate because they wanted a death sentence on him. And they couldn't uh, do that themselves. They needed Rome to execute a death sentence. And so they sent him to Pilate. And there, uh, Jesus is being interviewed by Pilate, but what's really happening is Pilate is the one who's uh, being judged and being uh, tried. And uh, this passage in John is uh, part of that conversation. This is John 18. Um, let me hear you read this with me. Jesus answered Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Uh, they had told Pilate, this guy claims to be a king. Pilate was asking him, and Jesus saying, you say right that I'm a king, but not of this world. And notice what he says there. Um, no, no, go back. Uh, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, but look what he says, that last sentence on there. But now, my, but now my kingdom is not from here. I love that word, but now. Why? Because there's a day coming when his kingdom will be here. But now my kingdom is not here. Uh, but there is a day coming. It's called the Messianic Kingdom. It's going to be a thousand-year reign. So his, his kingdom will be on earth. But here, he's. At, this isn't the time for that. He says, "Listen, if I, if my, if my kingdom was now, my servants would fight. I could get out of this in a heartbeat." Uh, let's go on. The rest of the verse. Pilate therefore said to him, "You are a king, then." And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king, and for this cause I was born. And for this cause I should come into the world. What cause? What cause, Jesus? This cause of going to the cross. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. What truth? That man is sinful. And that sin has to be atoned for. Or that we are eternally separated from God. And Jesus came to bear witness of this truth. What truth? That God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish. But would have everlasting life. And then Jesus says, I came to bear witness of that truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Hey, if you are here today, it is because you have heard that voice. And you have responded to that call. Or you're exploring, you've heard that voice, and he's waiting your response to that call. And he has bore witness of this truth. That sin has to be punished. And God wants to save you from that punishment. Uh, so that is the reason Jesus is going to the cross. And we pick up right where we left off. Matthew 27, verse 27. And if you're there, put your finger on it and give me a big amen. amen. Matthew 27, verse 27. Pilate had wanted to release Jesus, uh, but the religious leaders uh, uh, pressured him, and now Pilate has ordered his crucifixion. Verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor, that's the soldiers of Pilate, the Roman governor, took Jesus into the praetorium. The praetorium was the judgment hall. And they gathered the whole garrison around him. All kinds of Roman soldiers gathered encircling Jesus. Verse 28. And look at these words. And they stripped him. How humiliating. And they put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns onto his head. 
and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Oh, demonically inspired, these soldiers just acting out cruel wickedness, uh, doing cruel things. Verse 30, then they spat on him. In Jewish culture, spitting on someone was the, the, most, uh, uh, the biggest insult, the most uh, disdain you could have. They spat on him repeatedly. Uh, the Greek is they continued spitting on him. And they took it, the, uh, the reed and struck him in the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him put on his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Some interesting things that we see here. They put on his head a crown of thorns. A crown of thorns. Jesus was cursed with the crown of thorns. He became the king of the curse, if you will. If you remember, I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago, if you remember the first time thorns were mentioned in the Bible was after Adam and Eve sinned. Before the, sin, before the fall of man, there were no thorns. There were no weeds. Wouldn't that be amazing? I would love having no weeds in my yard. But Adam and Eve sinned. And because of sin, weeds were now part of the earth, thorns growing. Why? Why? God sending us a picture. God sending us a portrait. God giving us something tangible to remind us that we can understand. It used to be flowers and good crops grew all by themselves. You didn't have to do anything. But now, because of our sin nature, weeds grow all by themselves. You can still cultivate flowers, you can still cultivate a good crop, but you have to work at it. If you do nothing, weeds and thorns will grow by itself. A picture of our nature after the fall. The first time thorns were mentioned in the Bible, after the fall. And now Jesus crowned with the curse of man. The king of the curse of sin, Jesus. It says they clothed him. They were mocking him. They clothed him in a scarlet robe. Underline the word scarlet. They clothed him in a scarlet robe. Unknowingly, these soldiers acting wickedly are fulfilling Bible prophecy. Isaiah chapter 1, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as what? Scarlet, I will make them white as snow, says the Lord. Though your sins are red like crimson, I will make you white as wool. Come, let's reason together. Let's be honest about your sin. You are scarlet, red, guilty. And here Jesus is clothed with our sins. Robed in our sins. Crowned with our curse. The king of sin. Wow. Just amazing. Just amazing. Oh, if we understood all that God is doing. When Adam and Eve were first created, they were sinless. They were righteous. They had God's righteousness in them. They were actually clothed with the righteous glory of God. Moses, when he was uh, up on the mountain with God, he said, God, I want to see you. God says, Moses, you can't see me. You're a sinner. Uh, no man can see me and live. God said, oh, Moses, I mean, oh, God, please, I want to see your glory. God said, I can't show it to you, Moses. You wouldn't be able to handle it. You would, you would die. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I will pass by. And after I've passed by, you can come out of the cleft of the rock, and you can behold my glory after it's already left. 
And so Moses goes into the cleft of the rock. God's glory passes by. And Moses, after God passes by, comes out and he's transformed by the presence of God after he passed. And Moses comes down from the mountain. And do you remember what the Bible says about Moses when he came down from the mountain? What does it say about him? He was glowing. The Shekinah radiant glory of God. So much so that the people said, Moses, put a veil on your face. We can't even look at you. You've been in the presence of God. Symbolic of what happens to us, by the way, when we spend time with the Lord. But let me ask you a question. Was Moses a sinner? Absolutely. Well, Adam and Eve, they were created sinless. And they were created to walk in fellowship with God. God desires to have a relationship, to have intimacy with his creation. You. And they actually walked and talked with God in the cool of the day. If Moses was radiating the glory of God just from having God's presence pass by, imagine what Adam and Eve looked like being sinless and dwelling in the fullness of God's presence. Until the day that they sinned. And the day that they sinned, the Bible tells us, they realized they were what? Naked. Naked. The glory of God that once was radiating from them now departed from them because God cannot be associated with what is sinful. And the glory of God departs from them and they realize, oh my gosh, we have blown it. What do they do? Well, they cover themselves with fig leaves. And God comes looking for them, which is always the way it is. They don't go looking for God. God comes looking for them. God sought you. You didn't seek him. He called you to himself. He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? They say, oh, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? You clothe yourself. It's an inadequate clothing. We try to clothe ourselves with the works of our hands, trying to be good people. We'll all do this. It's an inadequate clothing. God comes and says, hey, where are you? And they present themselves to God. And God says, this will never do. He had told them, in the day that you sin, you will surely die. And God brings a lamb before them. And he symbolically puts their hand on the lamb. And that lamb is sacrificed in their place. Substitutionary atonement the punishment of their sin on that lamb and that lamb then is used and God takes the skins of that lamb and clothes them with the skins of the lamb the animal fur and what is happening all that is a picture of Jesus and here we see the great exchange as Luther called it Jesus being clothed with a scarlet robe of our sin. Jesus being crowned with the curse of our sin. And we being clothed in his righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus now becoming our clothing. The righteousness of Jesus imparted to us. This is his work. This is what he is doing. It is an amazing work. It is uh, just, uh, oh, how incredible he is. And he is doing all of this as they spit on him, as they hit him in the face, as they say, prophesy to us, who hit you? All of this being a fulfillment of what was prophesied from the beginning of time. The lamb in the Garden of Eden, a picture of Jesus Christ. Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus went to the cross, said that they would, be, they would do these very things. Look at this verse, Isaiah 50, on your screens. Let me hear you read this. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. 
And as we read through all of these things, we're going to see over and over and over again as we look at the cross in the, in the today and the next couple Sundays, we're going to see these prophecies are being fulfilled. Why? It's God showing us, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly and I'm sovereign over all of it. I foretold all these things. How incredible. Here we see these soldiers being so wicked, so cruel. And the parade of the heinous cruelty at the crucifixion of Jesus displays the depth of human depravity. It displays the dark, sadistic evil that is deep inside the human heart. And oh, how tragic. The crucifixion of Jesus is the very worst and the very greatest act in human history. The cross of Jesus is the focal point of human depravity. And the cross of Jesus is the focal point of God's love for man. It is the greatest single act on the earth. Jesus willingly chooses to go to the cross to redeem us. Knowing the wicked depravity of man. Oh, the astonishing depths of God's love for us. Just incredible. They strip him. They put a scarlet robe on him. And Jesus is clothed with the scarlet sins of the world so that we could be washed white as snow, clothed in his righteousness. This is the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this portion of scripture, it concludes the sixth illegal and unjust trial of Jesus. The entire process has been a mockery of justice. At least three times, Pilate declared, I find no fault in him. Pilate declared his innocence repeatedly. And yet Pilate would not stand for what was right. There was systemic corruption at every level. Lies and false charges brought against Jesus. An atrocious breach of due process. No fair, not, I mean, nothing, for, nothing forthright, nothing just being done. Everything was corrupt. Magistrates who were more interested in securing their own well-being and their own position than ensuring that justice was carried out. And all of these atrocities have left Jesus, God in human flesh, the only sinless man who ever lived on the earth, they have left him beaten to a pulp, beyond human recognition. The beard ripped out of his face, bleeding and bloodied. His eyes so swollen that you couldn't even tell his visage. He was marred beyond, beyond you. If you knew him before, you wouldn't even recognize him. He was so beaten, the scripture would tell us. Beaten to a pulp and now carrying a cross to his own execution and doing it willingly for us. Let's look at verse 32. Let's go on. Now they came, now, excuse me, now as they came out, that's Jesus and the, the soldiers. As they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear Jesus' cross. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of the skull. Golgotha is an Aramaic phrase that means the place of the skull. In Greek, the word is crania, which is where we get our English word cranium. Uh, in uh, um, in Latin, the word is uh, calvaria, uh, which is where we get our word calvary, and it simply means skull. Uh, 
Uh, maybe you didn't know Calvary meant skull, but that's what it means. Uh, Calvary's Hill, Skull's Hill. Why Skull's Hill? Here's why. If you go to Israel today, you can see it. There's a hill. There's a, 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 a mound. There's a mountain. And on the side of it uh, are two eye sockets and a nose socket in the edge of this cliff. It's kind of eerie looking. And they led Jesus to the part, the place of the skull, Golgotha, Calvary. And there they crucified him on the top of Calvary. Um, and look what they say. <clears throat> they led him away. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 34. Uh, then they gave him sour wine mingled with gall. Uh, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he tasted it, he would not drink. Uh, sour wine mingled with gall. Do you know what gall was? Gall was a narcotic, uh, excuse me, a narcotic to knock him out. Uh, when the soldiers were going to put someone on the cross, the pain was so excruciating of having the nails driven through your hands and through your feet that in order to sedate the person so they didn't fight them, they gave them a momentary nar narcotic to just kind of numb them out so they could get the spikes into them. And when Jesus tasted it, he said, no, I'm not going to take it. He took the pain, he took the cup that God called him to drink, and he said, I don't want anything to anesthetize me from this. I'm going to take the sin of the world on myself. I know that we live in a generation that loves to anesthetize themselves. Whenever any problem comes our way, Oh, run for the bottle, run for the pills, run for the pipe. Uh, we seem to just want to be a people who escape pain. May I remind us, uh, it is a destructive end. The Bible says, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, which leads to life and to edification. We can try to anesthetize ourselves from the pain of this world, from the heartbreak, from the failures, from the, the difficult things we go through being human. It's hard being human. And we can anesthetize ourselves. What are we doing? We're looking for comfort. And God is saying, oh, why are you going for comfort to that which cannot comfort? You drink and you party, but it only brings more destruction in your life. It makes you feel better for a moment, but it takes tomorrow's joy and it gives it to you in a moment and then you're bankrupt tomorrow. And Jesus says, no, not for me. Uh, I want to be uh, in the center of God's will. And he denies it. Verse 35. Then they crucified him. They hammered spikes into his hand. Can you imagine the pain? They hammered spikes into his feet. And they divided his garments, casting lots uh, that means gambling for them. They gambled for his, his clothes that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That was written in Psalm 22. Written a thousand and ten years before Jesus came to earth. And all through scripture, we're seeing, uh, uh, all through this crucifixion, we're seeing these reminders of these things that God foretold. He's saying, listen, I'm sovereign in all of this. This was my plan. This wasn't an accident. No one's taking my life from me. This is my choice. This is my will. 
Even the sour wine mingled with gall was a quote from Psalm 69, uh, a prophecy from Psalm 69. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 22, by the way, uh, uh, next week. You might want to read ahead. Not now, but you might want to read ahead. Do your homework. Psalm 22, if you ever wondered, what was the cross like from Jesus' position? Psalm 22 gives us an image, a picture of what the cross was like while Jesus was on the cross, from the position on the cross. And we'll look at that next week. Um, <clears throat> they divided my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. They gambled, fulfilling prophecy. Verse 36, sitting down, they kept watch over him there. They put him up on the cross, and there the guards watch him. Uh, there we see Jesus is now on the cross and crucified. It's interesting that we read that on the way to the cross, Jesus collapsed under the weight of the cross that he was carrying. He lost a tremendous amount of blood from the scourging that he took. He was scourged 39 times with his back pulled taut around the whipping block. The Roman uh, whip with the cat of nine tails on the end of it coming into his flesh, ripping off chunks of flesh with every whip. Uh, uh, when the soldiers would, would whip a, a criminal, they would confess their sins and the whipping would stop. They would confess their crime and the whipping would stop. Jesus had no crime to confess and so he took all 39 lashes. It means that his body would be uh, beaten beyond recognition. He would have such huge chunks of flesh off of him that you would see his skeletal muscles. You would see uh, the, tenu the sinews and the, the tendons and, and he would be that, that beaten. And no doubt losing tons of blood. He's anemic and he collapses under the weight of the cross. And there they they get a soul they get a, a, a just a, a passerby to carry the cross. His name is Simon. He is a black Jew from Cyrene. Cyrene is a region in North Africa. It is modern day Libya. And uh, he probably came to Jerusalem. To worship God at Passover. Passover was the, the feast that all Jews had to come to Jerusalem. It was required in the law. And so he's probably just coming, uh, minding his own business. And there as he's going to worship God on Passover, a soldier's spear comes up to his face and says, Hey, pick up his cross. In Roman military law, a soldier could come along and order anyone to carry a pack or, or military equipment or to carry anything. And by Roman law, you had to carry it for one mile. Which reminds us of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, if anyone compels you to go one mile, what did Jesus say? Go two. What's Jesus saying? Hey, listen, don't just do what's required of you. Do extra so that you can show the love of God. You can show the kindness and, and you can just bless others. And so here uh, we see where that teaching was born from, right? That's why it was just Roman law. They could compel you and they can compel Simon. They say, hey, carry his cross. And I imagine, uh, you know, I imagine how frustrated Simon must have been. Oh, are you kidding me? Imagine you're on a journey, you're, you know, you're on vacation, you're going to worship God, and then some soldiers come and say, hey, take this cross. Oh, are you kidding me? How frustrated do you think he was? You've got to be kidding me. This stinks, man. He's probably complaining, probably, you know, been out of shape. And then Jesus starts to talk to him. Hey, thank you so much for carrying my cross. I've been beaten to a pulp. I've lost so much blood. And Simon, I don't know what Jesus said. I wish I did. I'd love to know. I can't wait to find out. 
I don't know what was said, but I do know this. Simon got saved that day. For in the Gospel of Mark, Mark writes of Alexander and Rufus, if I'm remembering the names correctly, sons of Simon. And he writes of them as if they're well known in the church. And Simon became famous in Christianity for carrying the cross of Jesus Christ. And his kids get saved. And they become leaders in the church. Amazing. Now Simon, no doubt, was really frustrated. Really bummed out. But let me ask you this. When Simon died and he stood before Jesus... Do you think he was glad he carried that cross? <laughs> Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Suddenly, he dies. He's in the presence of Jesus. He looks him in the eye, and they go, I know you. And Jesus rewards him for carrying his cross. How many of you would have loved to carry the cross for Jesus? and his time of need. Oh, I would. I would. Wouldn't it be amazing? What an opportunity. What an opportunity. And here's what I want us to see. Here's what I want us to know. Our interruptions are often God's appointments. Simon's so torqued, so inconvenienced, but our interruptions are often God's appointments. This unwelcomed, unpleasant intrusion into Simon's day would become the greatest event in his life. And imagine the joy. And again, when he stood before Jesus, do you think he was glad he carried it? Do you think he thought it was worth it? And I know every single one of us would carry the cross if we could, but here's the problem. At the time, we don't often see it for what it really is, do we? We just see it as a major interruption. We don't look at it as an opportunity to deny myself and to pick up my cross and to serve Jesus. We just view it as, I'm so inconvenienced. Why is this happening to me? Contrary to human logic, Jesus said that denying ourselves and picking up our cross is the way to abundant life. And I know it defies logic. Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 on your screens. Read this with me, church. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is contrary to human logic. My logic would tell me, step on everybody else. Make sure you have the best. Go and serve yourself. Make sure you get all you want. Don't serve anybody else. Take care of number one, baby. And the Bible would say, you do that and you're going to lose your life. But instead, if you humble yourself and you deny your fleshly desires and you serve others, you're going to emulate Jesus and you're going to find life and life abundantly. I have a question for you. Why? Why is that? Why would that be? Why would abundant life come from denying myself instead of gratifying myself? Here's why. Because it takes a steady hand to hold a full cup. Do you understand? God wants to fill your cup, but it takes a steady hand to hold a full cup. And if you yell and scream at everybody every time something doesn't go your way, what kind of relationships are you going to have? You won't be a builder of men. You won't be one who God can use. And you won't have an abundant life. If when I get angry, I go around hurting people, I'm going to have an empty life. If I am selfish, I'm going to have a difficult marriage. If I am self-centered, 
I'm going to have few friends and I'm going to have shallow relationships. And I'm going to lose the life that God is trying to pour into me. It takes a steady hand to hold a full cup. But when we are selfless, when we are other-centered, when we are encouraging, when we are moderate in our emotions, we don't let our emotions control us. We're able to discipline our emotions. And, and when we can deny our flesh so that we can walk in God's ways, God can then use us to build others. He can use us to lead a company, to be successful, to handle wealth, to raise children who, who will thrive and to, to impact the world for good things. Our interruptions are often God's appointments. And may we use them appropriately. I would like to ask, how are we doing here? And I mean you, individually, you. How are you doing here at denying yourself, picking up your cross daily, as Jesus said, and following him? How are you doing denying your flesh? Is your character, character usable for God? Or are you so undisciplined? Are you so such a spoiled child that when you don't get your way, everything just unravels? How are we doing here? I had a super busy week last week. Uh, or maybe it was two weeks ago. I can't remember. Uh, I had, uh, had a full week, and then I taught on Sunday, and then a full Monday, and then I taught on Tuesday night in men's ministry. And then the next morning, I had to fly out super early to go to Georgia to do my father-in-law's uh, graveside service. And so uh, my wife was already in Georgia. I was coming after her. Uh, it was now Wednesday morning. I was here till after 10 o'clock at night at men's ministry. And my, I had to be on the, I had to wake up at four in the morning to catch a plane. And so I get there. I do the graveside service there. And uh, now I have to come back and be at the marriage retreat on Friday. So I get up early Friday morning and I'm going to the Atlanta airport. I think we got up at like five o'clock or whatever. And I'm going to the Atlanta airport this time with my my wife and we get to the Atlanta airport and uh, we go through TSA and the line is like I've never seen it takes an hour and a half to go through TSA we got there two hours early which should have been plenty of time it takes an hour and a half to go through TSA and Atlanta's a big airport I finally get through TSA and I go running like OJ Simpson through the airport <laughs> Before he committed murder, right? Uh, everybody under 30 is going, what's he talking about? Uh, I'm running through the airport with my wife. We're sprinting. We have to get on a tram to go to the right terminal after you go through TSA. We get there 10 minutes before our plane leaves. I walk up to the counter, and the guy says, sorry, the plane left early. I'm like, no, it didn't. I see the plane right there. He goes, I'm sorry, the door's closed. I said, no, it's not. Open it up. He said, I'm sorry, I can't. I said, you're not sorry, you can. And I got torqued. One of the reasons I was so torqued is the day before flying out to Atlanta, my plane left an hour and 15 minutes late as I sat on the tarmac for an hour and 15 minutes. And now you're telling me the plane's leaving early? I don't think so. <laughs> and I was mad. And Lisa looks over at me and she's like, Dave, <laughs> calm down. And so we walk away from the terminal, and I go and try to get another flight and all that. And we get another flight, and we have got to wait now. And, and I go, I need, to, I need to go for a walk. So I go, and I walk to the bathroom. 
and I don't even have to use the bathroom. I just need to get away from everybody, right? Because I'm mad. And I'm so mad that on the way into the bathroom, they have those little screens on the wall with three faces, a mean face, a medium face, and a happy face. And just for, because I'm so angry, oh, I'm going to hit that mean face. And, and then I thought, you know what? It's not the bathroom's fault. I'm not going to do that. So I don't hit it. I walk in, and I just go to the sink, and I'm just trying to gain my composure. And I'm washing my hands, and I go to put my hand under the sink. And I walk into the bathroom, and I notice this bathroom is really clean. It's really clean. And there's an airport worker there working in the bathroom. And the reason it's clean is because he's here. I mean, he's wiping the counter. And I go to put my hand into the soap, and no soap comes out. And before I could even go to the next sink, he just goes, put your hand right in here. And, and sure enough, I do, and soap comes out. And I go, thank you very much. And he goes, oh, may God bless you. <laughs> His name is Larry Birch. He looks like a NFL player. Here's a picture of him. He is massive. He's this big. I'm this big, right? It's like... And I said, well, thank you, Larry. I appreciate that. He goes, you know what? Jesus changed my life. And I said, he did. I said, tell me about that. He said, I used to be a drug addict. I was shooting up. I was taking crack. I was on everything. And he got a hold of me. And this guy was just dripping the love of Jesus. He goes, Jesus got a hold of me. And my life has never been the same. And I said, Larry, that's amazing. When did that happen? He says, 25 years ago. <laughs> But the love of Jesus has never left me. He's with me everywhere I go. And I'm sitting here going, oh my goodness. I came in with a wicked heart. I was so frustrated by my inconveniences, by my interruptions. And it was as if God grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, knock it off. And I walk out of that bathroom going, Lord, I am so thankful. Here you have your servant, Larry. And he is doing ministry in a bathroom. You have given me so much. And I walk out of the bathroom and I hit that happy face on the wall. <laughs> I did. And I didn't know this would happen. I hit the happy face and a screen props up. Comments? And I said, you bet. And I start typing. You've got an attendant in the bathroom named Larry who was incredible. What a servant. The place was sparkling. He did blah, blah, blah. And I write a paragraph on Larry. And I go to hit send. And I think, wait a minute. And I walk back in the bathroom. I go, Larry, come on out here. And he goes, what? I go, come on here. I go, let me show you this. This is what you did for me. And he reads it. He goes, oh, man, thank you so much. And I said, Larry, I just want you to know, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I came in here upset and frustrated because I missed my flight. And, and God used you to minister to me and to correct me and to get me back on track. And, man, I am so thankful for you, Larry. You have no idea how powerfully. And it gave me, I mean, I, was, I had burned the candle on both ends. I was tired. And it just gave me supernatural strength to move forward. And, and I said, Larry, I want you to know you ministered to me incredibly. And, Larry, you have a kingdom, man. You have a kingdom. And you are reigning as a king in the kingdom God's given you. And he goes, oh, man, don't I know it. This is my ministry. I preach to hundreds of people every single day the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus put me here. And I said, Larry, that's incredible. I said, I want you to know you have more than a CEO, than a CFO, 
who has millions of dollars, you have more than they do. And he goes, oh, I know it. I know it. He goes, as a matter of fact, Tim Tebow, every time he comes through this airport, he comes in here and says hi to me. And I'm like... <laughs> Dude, you're a rock star. I said, can I use your picture and can I tell church about you? He goes, yeah, for sure. So anyway, meet Larry Birch, man. Just amazing. Here's my point. Our interruptions are often God's appointments. And may we allow them to have his work in our life. It was true for Simon that day. It was true for me at the airport. May we pick up our cross daily. And may we follow Jesus. For in doing so, it is there that we have life. What am I complaining about, Lord? You've given me so much. Uh, oh, just changing, right? And Jesus willingly goes to a cross to make all of this possible for us. To pay the penalty of our sin, to cleanse us, to demonstrate his forgiving nature in our lives, and to build us up. Look what happens, verse 37. They put up over his head the accusation written against him. In Roman law, they would put your crime above the electric chair, above the cross, above the, the, the instrument of your execution, and they would put your crime right there. This guy was a murderer. This guy was a rapist. This guy was a thief, whatever. And the crime that Jesus was guilty of is this. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. It was written in Hebrew, it was written in Latin, and it was written in Greek. It was God's message to the entire world. This is the King of Kings. This is the King of the Jews. This is the Messiah that I promised. This is what you did to him. God's message to the world. Then two robbers, verse 38, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Uh, once again, fulfilling scripture, the Bible showing us God's sovereignty over all of it. Isaiah 53, it was written, he will be numbered with the criminals. He will be numbered with the transgressor, transgressors. And sure enough, Jesus was counted as a criminal and hung between two criminals there, fulfilling the 700-year-old prophecy of Isaiah. Verse 39, then those who passed by blasphemed him, blasphemed Jesus, wagging their heads. Uh-uh-uh. Uh, you know, just arrogance, right? Verse 40, and saying, you, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest said the same things. Likewise, the chief priest also mocking with the scribes and with the elders. You can circle the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. In other words, all the members of the Sanhedrin who were supposed to be the supreme high court, all of them were there mocking Jesus as well. And they said, verse 42, he saved others himself he cannot save if he is the king of israel let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him isn't this interesting underline those words he saved others who just said that the chief priests the religious leaders they knew all along that he was the one who was saving people when he did save them, they would say, oh, he didn't do that, but by the power of Satan. That wasn't God. Or they would say, he's just a magician, he's just tricking. But all along they knew, and here the truth comes out. He saved others. He's a savior. That's who he is. Verse 43, they mock more. He trusted in God... Let him, let God deliver Jesus. If he, God, will have him, Jesus, 
For he, Jesus, said, I am the Son of God. I want you to underline those words. I am the Son of God. Why? Because make no doubt about it. Make no doubt about it. Jesus was crucified for claiming to be God. And that is why they're crucifying him. And even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Even the, even the thief, uh, even the criminals on the cross saying the same thing to him. I want you to look at verse 42 one more time. Will you read 42 out loud with me? Oh, the whole church, a, a thundering voice. He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. I had you read that because I want you to know something about the culture that you're living in. That is the mantra of today's culture. This is what people are saying today. What? What? Here's what they're saying. We want prosperity, Jesus, not crucify Jesus. We want Jesus to come down and set up his kingdom. Come off the cross. Set up your kingdom. Take away our problems and then we'll believe. Give us peace. Give us joy. Give us happiness. Give us global unity and then we'll believe. But don't talk to us about our sins on a cross. We don't want to hear it. And that is the Jesus the world wants today. A Jesus without a cross, the world will gladly embrace. We like that kind of Jesus. Soft, fluffy Jesus who brings in utopia for all, who fixes our problems and gives us prosperity. Oh, we like that kind of Jesus. That's what we're looking for. Come off the cross, then we'll believe. But don't talk to me about our sin. I want to show us, I want to finish with three things the cross shows us, and then we'll take communion together. Uh, the first thing is simply this. The cross shows us that we have a huge sin problem. We have a huge sin problem. The cross shows us what the Bible tells us, Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And in the Greek, it's in the active present tense. All of us are sinning and are presently falling short of the glory of God. We have a sin problem. I want to remind us, Jesus was not crucified on the cross because he did wrong. He was crucified because we did wrong. And that is why he went to the cross. And again, the Bible foretold this. Isaiah 53, on your screens, 700 years before Jesus. Let me hear you read this. He was wounded for our transgressions against God. Let that sink in. He wasn't wounded for his transgressions against God. He was wounded for our transgressions against God. Let's read. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Pause there. The chastisement for our peace. Yeah, the punishment that we deserve was upon him. That's what chastisement is. And by his stripes, we are healed. There are false teachers who will quote this verse about a physical healing. Uh, that's not what the verse is talking about. That's taking it out of context. Contextually, we will be healed of our sins. We will be healed of the chastisement that we deserve. We will be healed of the wrath of God that is against sin. By his stripes, we are healed. All we, like sheep, dumb and stupid in other words, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, to his own sinful way in other words. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on Jesus the sin of us all. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And the cross shows us we have a huge sin problem that needed to be fixed. 
and the cross is how God dealt with our sin problem. The second thing the cross shows us is that we are not the judges of good and evil, of right and wrong. That we are not the judges of these things. God is the Holy One and God is the de decider of what is right and what is wrong. God is the one who judges what is good and what is evil, not us. And the cross reveals that my sinful actions that I, don't, that I don't think are that big of a deal are actually a very big deal. I don't think my, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think my ego is that bad. The cross reveals what God thinks of my ego. This is how ego is to be treated. I don't think my selfishness and pride is that bad. It's no big deal. I mean, everybody is, you know, a little bit selfish. We are not the judge of what is right and wrong. God is. And now we see the punishment of pride and arrogance and selfishness. We are not the judge of what is sexually moral and sexually immoral. Well, we love each other as long as we love each other. Doesn't work that way. Sorry. And here is the punishment of your sin on display. Well, same-sex marriage. I mean, same, you know, we love each other. Sorry doesn't work that way. Well, we're boyfriend and girlfriend. We love each other. Sorry. And on materialism. Sorry doesn't work that way. This is what I think of your materialism. This is what I think of your apathy to truth. This is what I think about you ignoring my calling on your life over and over and over. The work on the cross. This is God's wrath being poured out on sin. We are not the judges of good and evil. We're not judged by our peers. We are judged by a holy God, and he decides what's right and wrong and not anybody else. And what you think is right and wrong, frankly, he doesn't care. And for that matter, we shouldn't either. This is the reason that the world hates the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't think our sin is that bad. The religious leaders didn't need a savior to die for them because they thought they were good enough. They're not the judges of sin. Come down off the cross, then we'll believe. But tell us God who it's God who decides what's right and wrong, what, what is good and evil, uh, and the wages of sin is death, and you're seeing the wages of sin, and we will do everything we can to put away that Jesus and to get that removed from our remembrance. We don't want to acknowledge the price of sin. We just don't want to acknowledge it. And if you don't believe me, tell someone that Jesus is a good teacher. And you know what they'll say? Yeah. Jesus is a good teacher. Yeah, I like that. Tell someone that Jesus is where you find your peace. And you know what they'll say? Well, good for you. I'm glad you found something that works for you. But tell people what Jesus said on John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one will ever go to heaven and see God unless they come through Jesus Christ, and they will ostracize you. Because they don't want Jesus on a cross. They want fluffy prosperity Jesus, and it's not who he is. John Corson has a great quote that I want to give you on, on the screens. Take a look at this. It's powerful. Uh, read this with me. The world wants Jesus, but not crucified. The world wants a Jesus figure, a Christ consciousness, a cosmic spirituality, a harmonic convergence, and teachings on love, truth, and global unity. The world says, give us Christ, but not on the cross. Why? Because Christ crucified means that we have to acknowledge the part we played in his horrific death. 
We have to acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and the world doesn't want to do that. They want Jesus as a hero, but not as a lamb that was slain for their sin. Come down off the cross and we'll believe. Overthrow Rome and we'll believe. Take away my problems and we'll believe. But not on a cross. The living God, who is holy and true, he declares at the cross how he feels about our sin. It is abhorrent to him. And all sin will be punished by a holy and just God. And you decide how that punishment will take place. Either on the cross and shoulders of Jesus or on your own shoulders. The choice is yours. But God is holy. He decides what is right and what is wrong and what was done to those who break the law. The third thing the cross shows us, and then we'll take communion. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come up. The third thing the cross shows us is the depths of God's love and desire to save you. Look what God the creator is willing to go through to purchase your salvation. Look what God is willing to do to bring you to himself. Look what he is willing to do to restore the fellowship that sin has destroyed. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that God will not do to bring you back to himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life with God. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless. Thank you.